The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Lord Jesus, you are Lord and Christ. And as you said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And you commissioned your disciples with the great commission to make disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching. And you, you charged, you promised the, the, the witnesses of your resurrection, the 120 in the upper room, along with the disciples. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. And you are doing it. You are doing it. The persecutions and even the sin of the church, like in our text, do not stop your ongoing church building, gathering your new covenant people. Decade after decade, century after century, all the way into our present day and the birth of little old Bethlehem 150 years ago uh, to this day in which your church building continues. And we so thank you for the grace that you've given us to be a part of that. So come, knit all these pieces together, all under your headship, your lordship as the Christ. All authority is yours, and we are yours. We are your people. Meet us in your word and grant a humble brokenness as we read it and a dependence upon you for continuing to be a part of the spread of your name and your fame through the gospel. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Before I begin, I want to ask Marshall Posey to come up. Marshall is the North Campus church planting resident. So we bounce from the glimpse of the early church, the first church, to, Lord willing, our next church planter, and then I'll, I'll get into the text. But Marshall, come and give us an update. Thank you. As Kenny shared, I'm Marshall Posey, the North Campus church planting resident. I just want to take a few minutes to share with you how we see God at work doing exactly what Kenny had talked about and what I know you're praying for, that God is building his church. My prayer is that in this time you would worship Jesus and that your faith would grow deeper in Jesus. I want to read Matthew 28:18 through 20, and Kenny referenced it in his prayer. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. It is those verses that God used to call my wife and I, to plant a church in the northwest suburbs. 
You see, we'd lived there the past 20 years. We knew the people in the community. But we'd always kind of been a little bit sad that while we were willing to drive 20 to 25 minutes to find a church that we just loved worshiping with the people of God, those that lived right by us weren't willing to do that. I've since learned that the unchurched will only drive five to seven miles to find a church. People that are in a church community already will drive up to 45 minutes to find a church that they agree with the values, mission, and vision. And so we believe that God was calling us to this, and the elders affirmed that. And so we've been about the business of sharing what God has put on our heart, his call to ministry, this desire to be about treasuring Christ and making disciples in and for the northwest suburbs and the nations. And so perhaps some of you, I've shared a little bit of this journey in your adult Sunday school class, or perhaps in a small group. And so the main purpose that we have for this church that we believe the Lord is birthing is that we together would be about bringing glory to God through a community that treasures Christ. We think there's something really compelling about seeing people living together in a community that are brought together, rich, poor, old, young, male, female, all based on the unity that they have in Christ. So if this is our purpose, that we exist to glorify God through a community that treasures Christ, I'm going to ask you to pray in three specific ways for us. First, would you pray that as the Lord does his work in building a church, that we would be people of the word, that we would be transformed by the word of God, that in our preaching in our teaching, in our conversations with one another, we encourage one another, we memorize together, we exhort one another in the word of God. Would you pray that that would be a reality in this church, in the church to come, Lord willing, in the northwest suburbs, and the church globally? Secondly, would you pray for community? We're asking the Lord that he would bring other laborers to come alongside us, that would be about this great task of making disciples of all the nations. And so we want to do that, and it will take laborers to come and serve with us. So would you pray that the laborers who come would be faithful and that the Lord would call other laborers? And then third, would you pray that we would be about this task of making and maturing disciples? The Lord has put this burden on our heart, and we want to be about it, and it's not just a burden, it is a joy. We want people to see that Jesus is the pearl of great price, and they'll sell all that they have to gain that which they couldn't buy. And so we want people to treasure Christ, and we think people come to treasure Christ by being made and then grown as disciples of Jesus Christ. So would you pray for us? And for all churches, that we would do these simple things about being people of the word, gathering together in community that encourage one another in and to Christ, and then be about making and maturing disciples. If you'd like to hear more about what we're doing and what God is doing in the northwest suburbs, on April 19th, we're going to have another information session. And in the weeks to come, we'll just share a few more details. Thank you. Thank you.
So again, I'm Kenny Stokes, and I'm the pastor for church planting here in Bethlehem. And uh, the, the task I have, as Stephen mentioned in the welcome, is, is both to, to look at the text together and to call you and myself to give thanks to God for 150 years of grace on Bethlehem in the area of church planting and call us to hope in him for more grace. And, and that's not hard for me to do in, in the book of Acts. Uh, I think Stephen asked me, you know, could I, could I do that from one of the texts in Acts? And well, yeah, the, the whole book of Acts is about church planting. And, and so I hope you're with me in, in he, seeing the link. You know, so it's, isn't it interesting? <laughs> the, the, the text uh, looks back at the first church and a big problem. And uh, we hear from Marshall uh, about our next church and a lot of hope. And you know what? We know in the journey of the church, we know that in our 150-year journey, that we will need Christ. And all his promises to us, his faithfulness to build his church and not allow the gates of hell to prevail against it. I mean, there, there is a continuity, and I feel it uh, right, right as a pastor uh, right now at Bethlehem. I feel we need Christ, we need your prevailing triumphal grace. And, and I feel it for Marshall, and I see it in the text. And uh, with that said, let me uh, dive into the text. I'll get right into it. So in Acts 4, uh, from last week, Stephen's sermon mentioned this. this it's, a, it's a beautiful picture of the early church. You know, despite the persecution and despite the threats, there's this profound unity Uh, Verse 32, now the full number of those who believed was of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And not only were they sharing their belongings, but they're selling their belongings. You know, you have a need, I'll sell my car. I'll sell my car and give it to you. you. Give you the proceeds to help you. So it, it's a radical love. It's a, it's a beautiful thing that's happening here. And Barnabas, the same Barnabas who would later become uh, the Apostle Paul's partner in the missionary work, is exemplary. And uh, this was at the end of the text last week, verse 37. He, he sold the field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the Apostle's feet. So there's this beautiful picture of the early church with love and sacrifice, uh, being persecuted. They have boldness. They're just persevering. It's a beautiful, beautiful snapshot. And then in the context of of that, we come to to Acts 5. It's a satanic conspiracy. This married couple, Ananias and Sapphira, they... They did what Barnabas did. They sold a plot of land, and at first glance, it looks just like Barnabas. Commendable. Wow, what a great thing. And verse 2 says that Ananias kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it. So Peter confronts him in verse 3. Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart? To lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? 
You could have kept it. And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. And at that moment, Ananias drops dead. And verse 5 says, And great fear came upon all who heard of it. Three hours later, Sapphira, Ananias' wife, comes in without a clue that the satanic conspiracy was exposed. So Peter tested her. Verse 8. Sapphira, tell me whether you sold the land for such and such amount. And she said, yes, for so much. Peter replies in verse 9. How is it? that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord. Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Boom. She drops dead. And verse 11 says, And great fear came upon the whole church and all who heard of these things. So, What was their problem? I can break it down into two main pieces. The second has three pieces to it. But first, we see it's a satanic conspiracy. Satan is at work through Ananias and Sapphira in the church. But second, I can see at least three particular sins Three particular sins in their behavior. The first one is hypocrisy. Kind of an idolatrous, people-pleasing. I'm a generous person, just like Barnabas. I'm... And God exposes the hypocrisy. The other, the other sin I see is theft. And, and, and I, this is a little harder to see, but I really base it on the word kept back. It's a rare word meaning to pilfer or embezzle or misappropriate. misappropriate. And, you know, from what Peter says, you know, like if it's their money, can't they just give part of it? It, it, I think it's tied up in what they have said or how they position themselves. Like there's this, either what they've said, like God, you, you help us sell this land and we'll give you all the money. Or what they've declared it's something about it that it's an embezzlement. It's theft. It's pilfering. And then the, the third sin that we see is lying. And, you know, it's when the hypocrisy comes out of the mouth and they say things that aren't true. Yeah, we gave all the... And right here... There, there is a good reminder for our day. The church in our day, the, the, our world, that sin in its essence is not merely a sin against the people that you lie to. 
It's not merely a sin of hypocrisy, pretending to be something else before the people. It's not merely a sin, like if you're embezzling or cheating or whatever that, against whoever you're cheating. It's a sin against God. I mean, I, I, I fear we're in danger of losing the basic definition of sin. Here, I'll put it into the present context. You offended me. You got to repent. You got to ask for forgiveness. See what's wrong with that? See, the problem in the text is you offended God. Remember, remember David after he horribly sinned against Bathsheba and Uriah the Hittite? He had this affair and he had her husband killed. Remember what he says in Psalm 51? Against you and you alone, O God, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. He's not denying the sin against Bathsheba and Uriah, but he's rooting his primary definition where it belongs of sin, offense against God. Oh, I think we need this badly. In our day, I could, I could go on, I won't. <laughs> I'll, I'll throw it at you. Did, did Jesus sin when he said to the Pharisees, you blind guides, you whitewashed tombs, you snakes. If they go, well, you offended me, Jesus. You need to ask God for forgiveness. See, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Rather, they should have been offended, but they should have known that they, their primary problem was that they were offending God. And that's why they were sinning, and that's why Jesus was telling them the truth. Even though they took offense. Parenthetical comment. Sorry about that. So, so you, you step back and you look at the early church. and <laughs> It's so funny. People talk about the early church like it's this glorious, beautiful thing. It's a mess. You know, like, pick your epistle. It's a mess. It's a mess. And uh, you could think this, things are falling apart. You know, Jesus, you said you'd build your church. And, and you know, this is, this is, it could all crumble right here. Y- you said power of the Spirit for witness. And what kind of witness? I love the promise of Jesus I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And Jesus has been keeping that word from the early church on through the centuries uh, to the birth of Bethlehem 150 years ago on into the, the, him, him building his church through the churches that we plant. And now I'm going to segue. No, no, I'm not going to segue yet. I want you to see his, his pattern of building his church through the setbacks in the book of Acts. And I'm just going to do a few. Just going to do a few. Chapter 4. Peter and John are arrested for proclaiming Christ in the temple. Setback? No. Christ is building his church. Acts 4.4. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. So Peter and John get arrested, and the church grows to 5,000. 
After they were released, the Spirit granted all the church boldness to speak the word. So not only Peter and John talking now. Now our satanic conspiracy, chapter 5. Ananias and Sapphira. Setback? No. Christ is building his church and sanctifying her. Acts 5, 14. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women. Isn't that crazy? You know, at that church, two people just dropped dead. Let's become Christians and go there. Let's... Chapter 6, ethnic tensions arose between the Greek believers and the Jewish believers in this one church in Jerusalem, the only church, you know, the, the first church. And incidentally, we know that the ethnic tensions do not disappear after the solution that the apostles have to appoint deacons. I know, let's appoint deacons. And, and all the names of the deacons, the first deacons, are, are Greek names. Let's appoint Greek deacons to take care of the Greek widows and solve this problem. And it's a good solution. But we know that the ethnic tensions, the religious tensions between Jew and Gentile in the church continue to be talked about all throughout the New Testament. Where God calls us to be one people. One beautiful, glorious, united bride of Christ. So it doesn't go away, which is encouraging to me that it's a mighty long journey. But then, you think, is that a setback? You know, I mean, the Jew and the Gentile conflict, that's a big conflict. It's right in our church. Is this going to blow everything up? No. Christ is building his church. Acts 6, 7. See, I don't even have to leave the chapter to see it. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. How did the priests become obedient to the faith increasingly because the Gentile widows got taken care of? Christ is building his church. This is supernatural stuff. And then a great persecution breaks out in Acts 7. And after a long, provocative, fiery, stick-in-your-eye sermon that Stephen preaches, <laughs> Saul the Pharisee looks on with approval as Stephen is stoned, murdered, martyred. And a great persecution breaks out against the church. Setback. <laughs> you know the answer. It's not a setback. Christ is building his church. Acts 8.4. Did I say persecution? Big persecution breaks out in Jerusalem so that the believers scatter. They run away from Jerusalem. They're, they're scattering. Acts 8.4. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. For instance, the apostle Philip then proclaimed Christ in Samaria. Remember Samaria? Acts 1.8. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Jesus is getting it done. And then Philip went to, you know, the great account of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. The Holy Spirit tells, says to Philip, Philip, go stand by that street corner. And in a chariot, the Ethiopian uh, official uh, comes by, an official of the queen comes by in his chariot, reading aloud Isaiah 53, 
says, I don't know what I'm reading. Philip says, I think the Lord sent me here to tell you. And uh, the Ethiopian eunuch becomes a believer, is baptized, goes back to Ethiopia. And Christ is building his church. I didn't mention then, and Saul, the great persecutor of the church. Jesus meets him face to face on the road to Damascus. Confronts him with his sin and behavior. Converts him to Christ and he becomes the greatest missionary of all time. Is the persecution a setback? (laughs) No, Christ is building his church. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Not our sin, not the devil, not arrest, not persecution, not the, the schemes of Satan that he would work in the church, not ethnic division. Nothing and no one can separate us from the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus our Lord. And he is building his church and he will gather his people come what may, into his church, his church universal, and gathering his church locally through the ages. It is a a beautiful picture of our Lord and Christ as head of the church and what he's doing as we stop and think about it. Now let's stop and think about it as Bethlehem. A 150-year-old church, you know, that's, that's... As I say that, I think that's not owing to us. We're not that old. (laughs) It's owing to Christ and his faithfulness to us. And and I I hope you're familiar with this past grace, future grace dynamic that I feel like I live in. I I feel like I was taught it at Bethlehem. We, We look back at God's grace and we thank him for it. And then that past grace reflection gives us courage and hope and and energy and expectation to trust him to work again in the future. And it's most profoundly summed up in, in uh, um, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? God has given us past grace of the death of his son. Surely he will give us all things that we need in trusting him in the future for whatever the challenges may be. So let's think about the 150 years of grace here at Bethlehem. We're doing, I think, six of these uh, on on different Sunday sermons. And so this is the first one, just to think about his grace in church planting. And it might be, well, unless you've looked at the display in in the commons, you don't know some of this. So let me just tell you some of the story. Christ planted Bethlehem. I want to make sure I talk that way. Like when I talk about our church plants, we plant. No, let, let's make sure that how it, it might come out that way. But let's just make sure we know Christ planted Bethlehem. Any church that we plant, Christ plants. Well, Christ planted Bethlehem out of First American Baptist Church of Minneapolis, now called First Baptist Church on the west side of downtown, right off of Hennepin and about 10th. Uh, on June 22nd, 1871, when that church commissioned 22 Swedish members to plant a new church on the other side of town, I want to say in the Swedish ghetto, on the east side of downtown. In order to 
go there with a mission to minister, to target the influx of Swedish immigrants who were increasingly arriving in the city. And thus, First Swedish Baptist Church was born. It's Bethlehem's old name. And in about 1946, not about, in 1946, Bethlehem changed her name to reflect her expanding mission, not just to Swedes, but to all the city, and really all the world. Well, as I look back at the church planting history of Bethlehem, I see four distinct eras of church planting. And, and again, I'm telling you this in order that you would thank God for this legacy at Bethlehem. Church planting is not our new thing. It's not. It's an old thing from the book of Acts, and it's an old thing at Bethlehem. I want you to know this. Four eras of, of church planting at Bethlehem. Uh, number one, I call it the early years, 1871 to 1980, 109 years. Bethlehem, by the grace of God, was instrumental in planting 10 churches in those 109 years. On average, one every 11 years. Praise God. Era number two. I call it the new vision. 1980 to 2002. In those 22 years, God granted grace to plant six new churches, or about one every 3.5 years. Era number three, treasuring Christ together, 2002 to 2015. You can see the eras are getting shorter and the number of churches are getting higher. In those 13 years, 16 churches, about one every 10 months. And the present era, the Fill These Cities 25 by 25 era in which we're living, started in 2016. In those five years, on our way to this prayer vision of Lord give us grace to plant 25 churches between 2015 and 2025, God has given us grace to plant ele- or excuse me, 12 churches about one every five months. Those eras are on display in the commons, and you can read more about it online on the, on the website. There's actually a long document with the church planting history. And let me just highlight some of the detail in each of those eras that are actually written in this document that I just mentioned. So in that early years era, 1871 to 1990, or excuse me, 1980. Here's a sampling. I love it that eight years after Bethlehem was started, they planted a church. 29 members were sent to plant First Norwegian Danish Baptist Church to minister among the Norwegian and Danish immigrant populations that were gathering in South Minneapolis. The church became Powderhorn Park Baptist Church. And after 127 years of ministry, That church was down to nine adult believers and nine children. And they came to me. They came to Bethlehem. And they said, we we really want to steward this building for the kingdom. People want to build apartments on this land. And uh, it was a a two or three year process. And they, 
they said, you know, do you have a church planter? And I said, I don't have a planter right now, like in my pocket. I don't have a planter. But I tell you what, I will, we will do all that we can to see that a gospel-proclaiming church lands in that building and it becomes a new home. And they sold it to us for a dollar. And right now, Jubilee Community Church has been there for several years. It's a TCT church. It's doing just fine. And uh, Jericho Road Ministry is doing a mercy ministry out of there five days a week as well. So praise God for that. Our, our first church plant becomes, swings back into the, into the, the legacy story. I'll, I'll mention another. Well, I have to mention two more. Eight, and 1949. Bethlehem committed financial support for a church, for a, 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 they call it like a chapel, a mission church, Wayside Chapel, and sent a Bethlehem member, Reverend John Lundberg, to lead the congregation. That church became Wooddale Baptist Church in Richfield, which became Wooddale Church in Eden Prairie. Very influential kingdom, full of grace. In 1971, a Spanish-speaking church was uh, planted at Bethlehem in the building and stayed in the building for years uh, before moving to its own facility. It was, it, in English, it was called First Evangelical Baptist Church. Let me get on to the, to the new vision, 1980 to, to 2002. Why do I call it new vision? It, that, that's the, the year, 1980, when Pastor John came and I mean, he didn't come with like a blueprint of this church ought to become, you know, just like this and do this and do that and do this and do that. He came with a really big vision of God and he came with a big vision for the church to spread a passion for the supremacy of God in all things for the joy of all peoples through Jesus Christ. And, and in that vision, how many churches, what did I say? Six churches were planted. Laotian Church of Peace in 1988. Celebration Community Church in 1998 with an aim at ministering to the urban poor. Sovereign Joy Fellowship in 2000 with an aim to start a cell church movement in the Twin Cities. Next era. Again, I'm just giving samplings of these eras. Next era, the Treasuring Christ Together era, 2002 to 2015, those 13 years. It was during the, the TCT era that the DNA for Bethlehem church planting, which incidentally is the same as the Bethlehem DNA for campusing, the initial campus vision was tied in with the church planting vision, or the initial church planting vision was tied in with the campusing vision. They were one. So what's the DNA of our church plants and what's the DNA of our campuses? Incidentally, the, the, the initial vision was one campus north, one campus south. The distances became a little further than the, the, the draft, but it's happened. What's the DNA? I like to say it this way. We plant churches whose elders embrace that mission to spread a passion for the supremacy of God in all things for the joy of all peoples through Jesus Christ. Number two, we plant churches whose elders gladly embrace our elder affirmation of faith. 
And third, we plant churches whose elders see the conspiracy between that mission statement and that elder, of, elder affirmation of faith to live out as a local church the doctrine, the glory of God in ten specific ways which we've, we've spelled out, which I believe are worded intentionally. I mean, I, I, I know they're worded intentionally to be portable, but I believe we did a pretty good job at wording them in a portable way, that they're not culture-bound. I'm going to just read the list of them. Without going into it, you can look online for the detail that describes this. So we plant churches whose elders embrace the, mis- the, the uh, mission, the affirmation of faith, and, and aspire and lean in to flesh out that mission and doctrine in these ten ways, in these ten areas of life, in worship, in prayer, in education, in mutual care or love, in witness, in, in racial or ethnic harmony, in compassion, in missions, in leadership, and in legacy to the next generation. So that's, that's the DNA of Bethlehem Church Planting. That's the DNA of the campusing, as I said. But uh, what happened was in that, in that era, and it was by design, God gave us grace to, to birth a network that shared that DNA so that the, the new churches that were planted would, would, would encourage one another. Would, would hold the rope for one another in, in being true to the DNA and the mission. And so the, the Treasure and Christ Together Network was born, and, and we have been so helped in our church planting efforts by Bethlehem College and Seminary. I, mean, I meet church planting pastors, and they say, you have a seminary in there in your building? How do you do that? They're struggling with where do we find leaders? And God has, God has set us up for this, and we must steward this. Leadership training, a church that walks and mentors with future leaders, planting them into a network for ongoing care for the long run. I'm very humbled. So, TCT era. There are too many churches here to name. Uh, Six planted by our residents, Two uh, planted by graduates of the early version of Bethlehem Seminary called TBI. Five planted by pastors of Bethlehem, whom God called out of Bethlehem to plant churches. Let me go to the filthy cities era that we're in right now. So 12 churches in five years, about one every five months. We're at the midpoint in our 10-year prayer goal to see to ask God to plant 25 churches by 2025. We're at 12. I'll give you a sampling of, of the last three of those 12. God has given us the honor of commissioning and sending Diodine Tamfu to plant a new church in Yaoundé, Cameroon, in partnership with uh, Jubilee Community Church, one of our church plants. God has given us grace to send out two seminary students, Andrew Sheard and Elliot DeLorme, to partner together to plant a new church in Henniker, New Hampshire. And you know, if you just want a flavor of Henniker, New Hampshire, and, and the, the, what's the right word? The lack of evangelical presence that's there, it's like Utah. 
It's like Utah. I mean, they are, it's like ground level pioneering planting. And God is giving them grace in that. They went out last June. And then as you know, Tom Boyer uh, planted a church out of the North Campus in White Bear Lake, Emmaus Church. And I cannot believe that that church is less than one year from being commissioned and sent out of Bethlehem and God has given them a building in the middle of White Bear Lake already in fulfillment of the vision of what it could be. And it's, the could be is becoming an is. So, our next two, by the grace of God, Lord willing, will be Marshall Posey coming out of this campus to plant in the northwest suburbs and James Leckler coming out of the downtown campus to plant in San Diego in partnership with a campus outreach leader from San Diego State University. Uh, and they're in the process there. So, there it is. Uh, I, I, let, let me pray. I'll pray the pieces. How about that? I'll pray the pieces of the glimpse of Ananias and Sapphira, the glimpse up to Jesus as head of the church, and the glimpse into the future. Father in heaven, thanks so much for your grace to us in Christ. You have called us to yourself by the gospel. I thank you that we are your new covenant people, bought with the blood of Christ. And that your faithfulness to us is evident in how your grace hath brought us safe thus far, and your grace will lead us home as your people. It's true for the 2,000 plus years of church history as we read the book of Acts. It's true for Bethlehem's short 150 year history. And uh, as we look to the future, we know it's true. Both for ourselves and for the churches that you use us to plant and for the sending of our missionaries and for the raising of our children, we are utterly dependent on your favor and grace to be our delight, to be our joy, be our helper, put, to put your word in our mouth that we might proclaim your excellencies to others, that they might come to you and Christ would build his church through us over and over and over again until the Lord Jesus returns. So make it so for the glory of your name and for our joy, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.